Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Jabba Chats with Dr. Sandy. Your personal brew of life with a teaspoon of medicine. Real women. Real life. Real chats. Hello, all, and welcome back to another edition of Java Chats with Dr. Sandy. You know, October into November, especially this year, are two very interesting months with school in session with hybrid programming, which, by the way, has been very interesting, to say the least, as well as an increase in COVID awareness at the highest levels of government, to not knowing if Halloween will even occur, and to uh, very much an upcoming unprecedented presidential election. And this election, as many before and future ones, will shed some light as to what it means to vote, particularly for women, but also why it is important for people over 18 to vote, whether in person, absentee, or mail-in ballots. Not sure if I need a coffee for this one, a relaxing tea or hot chocolate. I think I'll go for the hot chocolate today. After all, cocoa contains antioxidants, aids memory, and makes me happy. So there it is. Join me for a cup as we discuss the story behind the story about women and voting in America. And it's an interesting story indeed. As women, we realize that a woman's right to vote is more than just a ballot with a choice. A woman's right to vote represents a freedom of thought, a freedom of choice, and a freedom of power. A vote is a powerful statement and that one that should not be taken lightly at all. Unfortunately, the right to vote was not always a right for women, not even a privilege. It wasn't even a thought. The vote was purposely denied as a means of control, no different than discrimination. As we know, the lack of voting rights not only involved white women, but black men, black women, and other minorities over the course of the past centuries. The denial of vote, a voice, and a presence is still an issue in many parts of the world, not excluding our part of the hemisphere. As noted in Episode 5, We Are Not Invisible, gender inequality is still an uncomfortable issue in the United States and beyond. Yet, women have come a long way, and in the words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, quote, real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time, close quote. It was not an easy struggle, as most struggles are never easy, and the right to vote was a hard-fought fight over centuries. Even to this day, and regardless of political affiliation, a woman's reproductive right, a woman's uterus and ovaries and reproduction, a woman's body is still an issue of contention at the highest levels of government. I don't ever really see a man's body ever being discussed, dissected, or fought about so much in debates and along political lines. Interesting, isn't it? Do we ever argue about a man's right to obtain a vasectomy and possibly prevent birth by doing so altogether? I have not heard of such an argument. Has the argument ever been made that if we are all abstinent, the human race will cease? Not a popular one, though, and I'm not going to argue this point as there are both sides with equal merit. But something we can all agree upon is the importance of a vote. The right to vote is a right, not a privilege, and this right should not be taken lightly. 
This year, the stakes are high because, after all, it is a presidential election year. The stakes are also high, as with the Senate and the House of Representative races as well. And yes, both candidates do have their own valid points worthy of an audience. After all, we do live in a democracy. And there is definitely merit in entertaining multiple sides to a narrative. The beauty of living in a democracy is just that, being able to argue each side and come up with our own conclusions and ultimate determination as to who we view as the best candidate for the job. Sometimes it's a toss-up, other times it's more clearly defined. The important part, as I stated, is that we have that right, the right to ask questions, hear debates, as colorful as they may be, and have the right to cast our vote on Tuesday, November 3rd. Voting is a willful, voluntary action. Nobody forces us to vote, which makes the process so much more important and valuable. And for women, the right to vote in the United States was a real long time coming with many women involved, some of which we never even heard about. We know about Susan B. Anthony's involvement in the suffrage movement, but not others. And in reviewing the history of a woman's right to vote, I came up upon a woman by the name of Margaret Brent, an immigrant to the colony of Maryland in 1638, who has been recognized as the first woman who demanded full recognition of her rights to vote along with her male peers in colonial times. A little background on Margaret. She was an unmarried businesswoman who immigrated from England. She served as an attorney and executor of Maryland governor at the time. High-level, powerful woman, one might say. She was not perfect, and yes, she was well-connected. In her post, she represented the governor, who reportedly defeated Puritan militants, restoring freedom of religion in Maryland. As the story goes... After the governor died unexpectedly, Margaret was left to assume the role of restoring order in the colony in his place. And to aid in her efforts, she requested two votes in the Maryland Colonial Assembly. The first vote was for herself, and the second vote she claimed as representative for the governor. History has it that she failed to get the votes. No surprise, right? At least she advocated to have that voice and to be included. She was heard, and... She was also heard because she was a landowner, but not heard on her merits. Land counted more than self. I'm sure, though, if she were the Queen of England at the time, she would have been able to vote. I guess it's not only who you know, but who you were that counted. Sometimes things don't change that much, do they? Anyway, about a 100 years later, give or take, a wealthy widow by the name of Lydia Taft was also allowed to vote in a town meeting in Massachusetts around 1756. No other woman in the colonial era has been known to have voted. Again, she owned property and she was rich and being white mattered. But at least she was allowed to cast a vote. So fast forward another 90 years around 1840s and many historical events and to the likes of Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton and the start of the Women's Convention, the most famous touted to have been held at Seneca Falls. What is interesting, and from what I read, was that there were different factions within the women's movement, some women believing that the right to vote was too radical of an idea. Imagine that. So much for women supporting each other, right? As such, there were also different suffrage organizations formed, each one with different agendas. In the 1870s, these women made an attempt to vote in the elections, and they were even filed lawsuits which were discarded. No surprise there. On the other hand, Susan B. Anthony succeeded in voting in one election, but was arrested and found guilty of voting. True to the adage, you giveth and you taketh away. 
Her actions, however, shed light on the movement even more. You know, sometimes negative press is better than no press at all. And of course, the Supreme Court ruled against women voting at that time. Again, no surprise there. It turns out that voting rights was not only a battle in the United States in the late 1800s and early 1900s, British women were also on the forefront of their own struggles. And women were ridiculed there as well for wanting to have the right to vote. In 1906, a British reporter, thinking he was clever, used the word suffragette to mock those fighting for women's right to vote. You see, the suffix, in quotes, E-T-T-E, is used to refer to something small or diminutive, insignificant. And the reporter used it to minimize the work of the British suffragists, I-S-T-S. So what did some clever, smarter British women do? They embraced the term suffragette as a way of reclaiming it from its original derogatory use. They took back control and turned the tables in their favor. In the United States, however, the term suffragette, E-T-T-E, was still seen as an offensive term and was not embraced by the suffrage movement. Instead, in the United States, the women called themselves suffragists, S-U-F-F-R-A-G-I-S-T-S. And suffragists are defined as anyone who advocates for enfranchisement or the right to vote. Regardless, a woman's right to vote needed to be heard. In 1916, a militant women's group headed by Ann Paul set out on a march of Washington and sought out a constitutional amendment change. After a hard-fought major push by many women involved in the suffrage movement, including minority women, there were finally sufficient votes in the U.S. Congress and the state legislature that the 19th Amendment became part of the United States Constitution on August 18, 1920. Finally, the amendment states, quote, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on the account of sex, close quote. It took several more years to get things kind of sorted out for women to vote and many more years for minorities to get the same right. As I mentioned, in addition to the better-known female influencers of the time, there are many untold stories of minority women and women of color who were also involved in the suffrage movement, and I encourage all of you to seek more info on this. Some names to not forget are Sojourner Truth, born a slave, and was known as the first African-American suffrage. In addition, Charlotte Fortin, Harriet Purvis, and others. The suffrage movement is not done. And it is still an issue in many parts of the world and needs continued support. Because, like we all know, without push and support of rights, they may not last forever. The part of voting that continues to impact all of us and is oftentimes overlooked is the effects of voting versus not voting. According to the Pew Research Center, 40% of adults in the United States vote. And in many states, some figures up to 50% of people, which is not ideal, and not, not all sectors vote to the same degree either. The white population votes more than the black population, and the black population votes more than the Latino and Asian populations. With regards to particular conditions, the authors of the Public Health Review papers describe that people with physical, intellectual, and psychological disabilities have a lower rate of voting. And with COVID, maybe these figures may be even more diminished in this population. In medical news today, it is noted how voter turnout participation decreases as the severity of depressed mood increases.
Another study found that individuals with cancer are more likely to vote, while those with heart disease are less likely to vote, which is interesting. I imagine that patients with COPD and other lung-related issues that are oxygen-dependent also have a a hard time voting as well. Among people with disability, voting rates were lowest for people without employment, people over the age of 65 and older, and people who have a hard time being outside in crowds. This is why the absentee ballot is so critical, particularly in presidential elections. And as predicted, research has shown that healthier people are more likely to vote. But on the flip side, participating in the voting process can also make you healthier as you are involved in the societal process, making people feel less isolated and allowing people to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Being connected socially is important in terms of mental health. Martha Kohout, author of the article, How Could Voting Benefit Mental Health, notes that voting appears to alleviate psychological distress, which might help offset the negative consequences of mental health. Being active in the political arena may also offer individuals a sense of empowerment rather than being passive agents in their fate. Another study out of Germany suggests that there is a link between political activism that leads to an intrinsic motivation and may translate to happiness. That's a big plus. The involvement of young people in social activism and politics may also have positive benefits and result in better health. A study published in the Journal of Children Development noted that young people involved with volunteer work, voting, and activism were more likely to be healthier, eat healthier, and have fewer depressive symptoms. So you see, voting is not just good for the country, it is also good for your health and for the health of your children. Voting is a function of how you can empower yourself to regain control over things that may not seem to be in your control, to be part of a community part of a country and a sense of belonging, a sense of self and a sense of self-worth. And that is crucial and important and priceless. So I leave you today with a few Java thoughts as you enjoy your cup of hot chocolate on a fall day. One, voting helps to strengthen your sense of community and your sense of belonging. Know that your voice matters. Two, voting is linked to better health, so vote. Three, voting is good for mental health. It may reduce stress. Four, voting sets an example to our children so they see how our opinions actually can and do matter. Five, and voting is linked to happiness. Health benefits continue after the polls close, particularly if your candidate wins. Hopefully not a fallout if your candidate loses. So go out and vote. Encourage everyone over the age of 18 to vote. And if you know someone who cannot get to the polls because they are hospitalized, at home quarantine, or for any other concerns preventing them from physically getting to the poll stations, help them with obtaining an absentee ballot. And six, get involved Learn, research, ask questions, raise concerns, develop conclusions, and exercise your civic duty, ladies. It was a hard-earned fight for women who came before us. Let's continue to exercise our right to vote. Encourage the social work of voting and wear that I Voted sticker proud. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, share and tag me. Also, send a like on my Instagram, Facebook, and website. It will be truly appreciated. Until next time. Thank you for choosing Java Chats with Dr. Sandy as your personal brew. Real women, 
real life, real chats. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.